Okay, we started a series in the book of Ezekiel. Book of Ezekiel. It's a pretty unusual book we found out so far, that's for sure. Uh, you just don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, we started with Ezekiel having a vision of God. He got to see God like no one really ever had before. And as he got a look at God, we, we, he finished and said he was stunned by it dazed by it, sat among the people, and they realized that this man was a man of God. And then God gave him some things to do. He said, We're gonna, you're going to have a message to you to, to tell, except for you can't use your mouth. <laughs> so the poor fellow laid on the ground for over a year on one side, then rolled over for a few weeks on the other side, and he ate strange food, did all sorts of things uh, so that he could communicate the message because God said that they, they've heard enough words and they're not paying attention to words. They're going to make them think. And so he did. They, he made them think and he did some very unusual things. And he seems to be that kind of guy. Even when, as we go on, we'll find him doing things that uh, nobody else ever did. Uh, I kind of like that. I think that's something special about the way God works. Because sometimes we send all our preachers to college and they all come out the same. And that doesn't work real well. <laughs> you better let them be who they are uh, than turn them all into little rubber stamps. I remember when we first started here, beginning, I had a pastor friend of mine. He said, Eric... It, nobody does it like that. Nobody buys an old wreck and fixes it. And I said, well, we are. That's what we're going to do with God's help. And uh, so we've done things that nobody else has ever done. And that's okay. I like it. I'm happy to do that. And Ezekiel was too. And we're going to see him again tonight uh, acting things out, doing things in a strange way. Uh, and uh, then we'll really uh, get a look at this fella. Now, uh, last week I think is a pretty fascinating passage as the Spirit picks him up by the hair, takes him to Jerusalem in a vision, and he sees, first of all, in the, right next to the altar in the courtyard, Manasseh's big old idol. There are ladies prostituting themselves in the courtyard. He takes them, him uh, behind the temple and they digs a hole in the ground, peeks through a door, and he sees the leadership of Israel burning incense to pictures on the wall. Their idols were pictures on the wall. And the last thing he shows them is 25, and this is important, 25 men with their back to God worshiping the sun as it rises in the east. And so uh, after that, we have this strange and wonderful and terrifying, really, vision of God abandoning the temple. He comes off the Ark of the Covenant, lifts himself up, goes into the courtyard and waits. And he goes up out of the courtyard and goes over the door 
and waits. And then he goes from the doorway up to the Mount of Olives, overlooking the temple, and waits. And then finally he leaves. And we have what Jesus described in the very same temple, in the very same spot on the Mount of Olives. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and the kingdom is taken from you and given to those bearing the fruit thereof. And so it was quite a vision, and it's a pretty dark vision when the vision that God gives you is, I'm leaving, goodbye. I'm abandoning you. I am not going to be here for you. I'm not going to go along with what you do. You can't just decide the way you want it. There's my way. You need to do it. And if you won't, I'm leaving. And he got up and left, and God left. And that's something for everybody to think about in our own lives. You want to feel the closeness of God in your life, then you've got to do what he asks you to do. And otherwise, why should he stay? We don't want, certainly don't want God to go up and leave our lives. And that happens in the Bible. We see it quite often where God leaves somebody to their own devices. And so that's a warning to us. Now, in that kind of dark passage where we see terrible things going on in the temple, there's just a little bit of good news. And so we go to Ezekiel chapter 11 where we left off. uh, And we back up a few verses. Now, this message that he's given him, because of the things that went on in the temple and all the bad things were going on there, it's a message of judgment. Chapter 11 and verse number 12. You shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, neither executed my judgments, but have done after the manners of the heathen that are round about you. And so that's the message that he gives them. You did what you shouldn't, and I'm through with it. I'm God. You didn't do what I asked you to. And so here it is. And he's going to preach that message. But he's got himself a real shocker going on. In verse 13, it came to pass when I prophesied or when I preached that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. Wow. So, so he's going to tell these people this message. There's a guy there, and he's, he stands up and he says, Look, God says he's finished. He's done with it. And he's not going to put up with it anymore. You brought this down on your head, and there's a guy there, Pelatiah, and he drops dead right while he's preaching. Well, I'm glad nobody's done that here. Although we had one, you might recall, some of you, where a lady went down and just was out flat, out cold on the floor and was there for half an hour at least till they removed her. Uh, she didn't die, but uh, got, it's got a way of taking over the service, I'll tell you. <laughs> I couldn't preach that day because what are you going to do with a lady laying on the floor just out cold? And they're coming in from the fire department and trying to figure out what to do with her. Well, it's quite a shock. But Ezekiel, leave it to God in Ezekiel. He gets up, here's the message I got to preach. The guy drops down dead right in front of him. Drops down dead. 
Now that's got to stop a, stop a sermon in progress for a while. And it, poor Ezekiel, uh, he, he says, verse 13, came to pass when I prophesied that B uh, Pelatiah, son of Benaiah, died. And fell I down on my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will thou make a full end of the remnant of Israel? Are you going to kill everybody? That's really the message he's been preaching. Everybody's going to suffer because of what you've done. And there, as he's preaching, he says, you people are going to have the consequences of what you've done. The guy, bang, drops down dead right there. Well, that'll make you think. That'll make you think. But it's particularly interesting, or particularly dark, I should say, uh, who this guy is. Uh, this isn't just anybody. This guy is somebody that we've heard of before. Now, if you look at 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Moreover, the Spirit lifted me up, brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house, would look at the eastward, and behold, at the door of the gate, five and twenty men, among them I saw Jazaniah, the son of Azer, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. There he is. He's the guy, all right, who uh, he sees there among these 25 men. What were those 25 men doing? They were worshiping the sun. They were supposed to be facing west as the Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle. And the Ark would be on the west side. And that's where God was. And you went, you approached God through here. And uh, we had the altar of incense, a table with bread on it, and the candles, candles there that were lit there. And they were standing here, he said, along there, there was 25 men facing eastward with their back toward God. And it said they were worshiping the sun. Pelatiah is a sun worshiper. And people that worshiped the sun, their favorite god was Baal. Baal was the sun god. Baal's the one you take your baby and throw him in the fire for Baal. And here's a guy. He said, the Spirit showed me these men, 25 of them inside the temple door. It's behind the curtain, facing east and worshiping the sun. And now he's dead. Just as he's speaking... He drops over dead. Look at Ezekiel 8 is where we first saw him. Verse 16. He brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. Behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord, their faces toward the east, and they worshiped the sun towards the east. Now in chapter 11, he tells us two of their names. One of them is Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, prince. He's one of the leaders of the people. He's from the, the tribe of David. That would make him a prince. All right, and now uh, he dropped dead right in front of 
him while he's speaking. So, Ezekiel asks the question, is everybody going to die? Is everybody going to die? Um, you want to know whether God killed him, don't you? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't say. That just says he dropped down dead. Uh, the point is, rather, that he had opportunity to change. He's come to listen to the prophecy of Ezekiel. Right. He had opportunity to change. And Ezekiel's been preaching. Ezekiel laid on the ground for a year, you know, a year and a month. Ezekiel has constantly been giving this message out in one way or the other. And he didn't change. And so he dropped dead right then and there. And we're going to think about that a little bit more as we go along because that's a pretty significant event. When somebody dies when you preach, makes you ask yourself, do I want to keep preaching? What if everybody dies? That's what he said to God. What if everybody dies? Well, here's what God answered. Verse 14 now of Ezekiel 11. Word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, thy brethren, even thy brethren, the men of thy kindred, and all the house of Israel holy, are they unto whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get you far from the Lord, and get unto us in this land given in possession. Therefore say, Thus saith the Lord God, Although I have cast them far off among the heathen, although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I will be the, to them a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall come. He said, we just lost our temple. God abandoned it. He said, I'll make a little church where you are. And one, of course, some pretty famous places that that happened, right? In a lion's den. It was a sanctuary, a safe place. In a fiery furnace, God made a safe place for his people. Right, and so he said, I'll make little sanctuaries wherever you go. And they're going to Babylon, most of them. Therefore say, thus saith the Lord God, I will even gather you from the people, assemble you out of the countries you have been scattered, and give you the land of Israel. They shall come thither. They shall take away all the detestable things thereof and all the abominations thereof from thence. I will give them one heart. Put a new spirit within you. will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances and do them. They shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart walketh after the heart of detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their way upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Or in other words, maybe he did die because God said that's it. You are a prince. You're of the tribe of David. That is a tribe of Judah. You're in that king line. And I'm not going to have that. And he died right there. Now he said what I'm going to do is you people are going to be scattered all over the world. I'm going to let you come back. You're going to go home. 
you're going to get a chance to go home. And he said, when you come back, you'll be different. You'll have a new attitude. You'll have a new heart when you come back. And you will get rid of anything that's wrong and set it right. And who were the people that came back? Ezra, the scribe. He writes a book. It's in the Bible. Nehemiah comes back and builds a wall. He also writes a book. It's in the Bible. We have Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the prince, who was of the tribe of David. And those people came back. And boy, they were good people. They were really good people. Excellent excellent group of people that God gathered together and gave them a hard job to do. They went back and you never knew just how bad it was until they went back. And they looked and there was just piled of rubble. We're going to make a city out of this. Wow. Just piles of stones and rubble everywhere all burn up old timbers and there they built the wall under Nehemiah around Jerusalem. And there they laid the foundation for the temple. And wonderful prophets like Haggai prophesied. And said, you're going to rebuild that temple. And he said, you're going to build that temple. And it may not look like much. Not like the old one. But there's something very special about it. See, when I call you back, you come home. Then Jesus, the Messiah, will come. And that's who's going to walk in that temple. And you know that Jesus walked in that temple, didn't he? The first time when he was 12 years old, he walked in that temple. And then he came in again at 30, and he threw out those things that he just said, the abominations. He threw them out of the temple and got a whip and drove them out. That was Jesus in that temple. And so he said, they're coming back. You'll be coming back and you can give them that message. If they stay true to me where they are, I'll be a little sanctuary off in the wilderness, Babylon, Assyria, where they're spread all over. But they will come back with a new heart. In other words, in the end, God got it fixed right. So that's a good part of that tough prophecy. Now, chapter 12. In the middle of God abandoning it is the promise, I'll be with you wherever we go, and I'll bring you home again. And that's what Ezekiel needed. Because when you're preaching and somebody drops down dead in the congregation... What's, what are you going to say next? <laughs> what are you going to say next? And God said, here's what you say next. I'm going to bring you home. Tell them that. Tell them I'm going to bring you home. And we're going to fix what's wrong. So that's a good message that he can give. Because I think after he said, God's not going to put up anymore. And the fellow dropped down dead. Uh, that that has more impact than all the preaching you can have. <laughs> Somebody drops dead, that's pretty serious, isn't it? That makes a person think. And this guy who was worshiping the sun, right in with his back towards God, just dropped over dead. So, Ezekiel, 
He's got a tough thing to hear. Now, let's do it again, God says. We're going to do a little acting again. Here we go, chapter 12, as Ezekiel again is going to act out his sermon. Here we go. Word of the Lord came also unto me, saying, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. He said, they don't want to see, and you put it right in front of their face. They don't want to listen. No matter what you say to them, they're not going to listen. They're awful rebellious. So we're going to try what we did before. We're going to do a little acting for these people. Three, therefore, thou son of man, prepare these stuff for removing, and remove by day in their sight. Now shall remove from thy place to another place, and it may be they will consider, though they be a rebellious house. So, he gives them a list of things they're going to do. I want you to start, he says, uh, with this one. Pack your bags. I want you to pack your bags, and then you're going to move. I'm sure Ezekiel had a house. We know he laid in that house for a while. He said, get your bags packed. And there's a special kind of bags that you're going to pack. It's stuff for removal. I think probably what happened when they were taken captive. If you think of the logistics of taking how many... 10,000 people captive and taking them to Babylon. That's not a simple little thing. And so I have a feeling that the Babylonians, they'd done it all over the world, taking people captive. And so they're taking people out of Jerusalem, the cream of the crop. They say, you're going back with us to Babylon. Pack your bags. Well, what do we do? Well, you're carrying it on your back. And so we're not carrying it for you. We'll supply you food along the way and we'll get you back to Babylon uh, against your will, but that's where you're going. Uh, But uh, here's what you get to take. You know, you take an extra pair of shoes, a few extra pieces of clothing. You put it in a sack and put it over your back and that's what you got. You're not taking the kitchen sink. All right, you're not taking this and that and your treasures and all that, none of that. You just get enough to live, so pack your bags. Every one of these people who are watching him had done that already. They had packed their bags back in Jerusalem and put their little sack on their shoulder and walked off with the Babylonian army to Babylon. Considerable little hike. Probably took several months. For them to accomplish it. And they got just enough clothing probably and shoes to get there. And so here comes Ezekiel out of his house. He's got one of those sacks. One of those bags packed. And they also, we know, we each had one of them. and carried it all the way from Jerusalem to Babylon. So I got mine. And brought it out. God told me, pack my bags and move. So I'm coming out of my house. Daytime, come on out of my house, set my bag down. I'm not going back in my house. 
Let's see what else he's got to do. Verse 4. Thou shalt bring forth thy stuff by day in their sight as stuff for removing, or that is what you would use if you were going to be hauled off. Thou shalt go forth at even in their sight as they that go forth into captivity. So you're going to go out in the day, take your bag, and set it down. You want people to notice. We're hoping they'll notice. Hoping they'll pay attention because they all had one of those little bags once. He said, then you're going to wait until evening. All right. Dig thou through the wall in their sight and carry out thereby. And so he said, you're going to move. You're going to move in the daytime. When it gets to be evening, you're going to dig a hole. wall there and you're going to dig hole and dig out underneath the wall when you get it dug you grab your bag you go under the wall you're going to go out under the wall so he says dig a hole and go under the wall go under the wall let's see what else he's got him doing Verse 6, in their sight shalt thou bear it on, their, on thy shoulders, carry it forth in the twilight. Thou shalt cover thy face, that thou see not the ground, for I have set thee a sign unto the house of Israel. And so he says, when you get through and you go down through the hole in the wall, come out the other side with your bag, and you're going to cover your face. I want you to cover your face. And wear something over your face so you can't see where you're going and walk away. <laughs> he gets some task, doesn't he? So he packs his little bag, his little captivity bag, takes it outside, sets it there, and they're all, so what's he doing now? He's done all kinds of things, you know. He's made strained bread, and he's laid on the floor and drawn pictures on a tile, and uh, he's cut his hair off with a sword. You know, what's he going to do next? Well, he came out of his house. He brought a bag like he's leaving home. And they waited all day, and they wait for him to do something. And then in the evening, starts to get dark. He goes and digs under this wall somewhere, digs a hole completely and goes under the wall, up the other side. When he gets out the other side of the wall, he puts something over his face he can't see, puts his sack on his back, and he walks away. <laughs> What's he doing? What's he doing? Verse 7, I did so as I was commanded. I brought forth my stuff by day as stuff for captivity, just what I needed to survive. And in the evening I digged through the wall with my hand, brought it forth in the twilight, I bear it on my shoulder in their sight. So he packed his bags and left, threw a hole under the wall, covering his face in the dark. What is he doing now? He doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) 
He doesn't know what he's doing. God's going to tell him now why you did that. So he's a good guy because God says him do something, he does it when he can't even make sense of it. If God asked you to do something you couldn't make sense of, would you do it? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. God said, I want you to do this. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense. Why? Well, he's going to tell him why. Here we go. Verse 8, in the morning the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, hath not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said unto thee, What doest thou? You bet they did. What are you doing? Why are you digging a hole in the wall? Why would you cover your face? What are you doing? Say thou unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, This burden concerned the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are among them. Oh, this is a prophecy. It's a little story acted out. And it's got to do with the prince or the king back in Jerusalem and also the people of Jerusalem. Say, I am your sign, like as I have done, so shall be done unto them. They shall re remove and go into captivity. Now last week I talked about the patriotic nature of the Jews. And they said, we're not, we're not going to give up. We're going to fight the king of Babylon. God will help us. And we'll survive and we'll come out fine. And God said, no, 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 no. You can't do what you did. Uh, have prostitutes in the temple. Worship the sun and every other thing. And think I'm going to put my stamp of approval on it. I'm not. So you are going to go captive. Even though you think not. So Part of what he's doing is a message to the people of Jerusalem. You're going captive. But it's also specifically a message for the king who's a king back in Jerusalem. Verse 12. And the prince that is among them shall bear upon his shoulder in the twilight. Shall go forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. He shall cover his face that he see not the ground with his eyes. My net also will I spread upon him. He shall be taken in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. So he's a prophecy to the king of Jerusalem. His name is Zedekiah. He never did anything good. Not one thing did he ever do good. As a matter of fact, Manasseh, the one who put the idol up in the temple, his son, Josiah, tore it down. People think Zedekiah said, ah, bring it back. We'll take it back. And he did everything. As a matter of fact, he said, it's said of Zedekiah that a lot of people died because of him. And I don't mean died because of Babylon. Died because of him. He was executing people or doing whatever. He was a mess. So he never did anything good. So here's a prophecy about him. Alright. All these things are about this king Zedekiah. Now Zedekiah uh, was under the control of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar allowed him to be the king there. He's in David's line. He's royal blood. 
And Nebuchadnezzar says, All right, you're now the king of Jerusalem. You get my approval to say so. You don't do anything without me. Well, Zedekiah said, I'll go down to Egypt. I'll get Egyptian army to come up and fight for me. And they'll scare away the Babylonians. Well, he did. He tried that. Uh, scared away the Babylonians for about five months, and then they came back and tore the place apart. Under Zedekiah, those things happen. Now, I want to look at another prophecy here. Jeremiah 32. All right. We're going to keep our finger here in Ezekiel. We want to look at Jeremiah 32. There's something important here we got to take note of. Jeremiah chapter 32. Now, this is Zedekiah. He's the king. And he's the one that Ezekiel is told to prophesy. Now, Jeremiah 32. Here's another prophet. This prophet's back in Jerusalem named Jeremiah. Here we go. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. And for when the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison that was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city to the king of Babylon, he shall take it. Zedekiah, the king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered to the hand of the king of Babylon, shall speak to him with his mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. He shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, there he shall be till I visit him, saith the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, thou shall not prosper. Jeremiah said that prophecy. He said, look, you're going off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is going to take you right to Babylon. He's going to haul you off to Babylon and uh, don't think you're going to escape. And because Jeremiah told him that, he threw him in prison. (laughs) Don't be telling me that. I don't want to hear that. Don't be telling me that I'm going captive. I'm not. I'm not going to listen. So Jeremiah said, you're going to be a captive. Now, back over here with Ezekiel, Something pretty unusual that it says here. He says, uh, the prince, verse 12 of chapter 12, princes among them shall bear this on his shoulder in the twilight, shall go forth, they shall dig through the wall to carry it out thereby, shall cover his face, that he see not the ground with his eyes. My net also will I spread upon him, and he's going to be taken in my snare. Bring him to Babylon, the land of Chaldeans, yet shall he not see it. So, we got Jeremiah, who tells Zedekiah, you're going to Babylon. You're going to be taken captive to Babylon. We got Ezekiel, who says, you shall not see it. He talks about Babylon. He says, you're not going to see it. 
So, is there a little problem with the two? It's kind of an interesting little issue. Zedekiah decided, we have this actually from Josephus. Now, Josephus was a historian who wrote the history of the Jews, not the Bible, but the Jews. And of course, we have the history of the Jews in the Bible. So we're always interested in, in uh, Josephus' history because he adds little things that the Bible doesn't tell us. And what he told us about this, about Zedekiah. They came to him and they said, you know, Jeremiah says you're going to Babylon. But Ezekiel says you're not going to see it. So, what do you think? Now, if it was you and me, and we had two prophecies, and they seemed to be disagreeing, we'd probably say this. One of them's right, one of them's wrong. Wouldn't that be normal? That's what most people would say. Ah, maybe one guy's got it wrong, because they don't agree. Maybe one guy's got it right, one guy's got it wrong, and they don't agree. And that's what a normal, <laughs> that's what a normal, reasonable, logical person would think. But Zedekiah is not normal, reasonable, or logical. He does not think in God's ways, and so he says this. The history tells us that he said, they're both wrong. Neither one of them are right. They don't agree? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm not going to Babylon anyway. Jeremiah's wrong, so I put him in prison so we don't have to hear him anymore. And then Ezekiel's wrong. Of course, he's off in Babylon. I can't get at him anyway, but he's wrong too. They're both wrong, which is the illogical statement of a man who uh, isn't thinking straight. Now, Jeremiah 52. Let's get this whole story laid out and see what happens. Jeremiah 52. And I'm beginning at verse number 4. Jeremiah 52. Now, we're trying to figure out what's all this. Pack your bag and go by day and dig a hole, cover your face. What's all that mean? It's a prophecy, and here's what happened. Uh, Jeremiah 52, verse 4. Came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month of the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his army against Jerusalem, pitched against it, built forts against it round about. So the city was besieged unto the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. In the fourth month, in the ninth day of the month, the famine was sore in the city, so there was no bread for the people of the land. Then the city was broken up, or they broke through the wall. And all the men of war fled, went forth out of the city by night, by the way of the gate, between the two walls, which was by the king's garden. Now the Chaldeans were by the city roundabout, and they went by the way of the plain. So there's two walls in the king's garden. And they went under the wall. They dug under the wall. 
They get away. Babylon, Babylonian armies coming in the city. They go over to this, these walls, which was keeping the armies out. And they said they dug under the wall. They dug under, came up the other side, and ran out into the plain. Okay, so we got them moving. They packed their bags. They're going to be taken captive. They're going to move. And they dig a hole at night under the wall, and they go out. Verse 8. The army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All right, he's running for the river, running for the Jordan River. They catch him before that in Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. So they abandoned him. All right. The army of the Chaldeans pursued after the king, overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. Then they took the king, carried him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, in the land of Hema. There he gave judgment upon him. The king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. He killed all his family. He slew also the princes of Judah and Riblah, killed anybody that was of the royal line. Then he put out the eyes of Zedekiah, the king of Babylon, bound him in chains, carried him to Babylon, put him in prison till the day of his death. And now I'm going to use your eyes. I'm going to kill your children. Watch. I'm going to kill your relative. I'm going to kill everybody. And that's the last thing you're going to see. I'm burning your eyes out. And he burned his eyes out, then took him to Babylon. So cover your face is what? Make it so you can't see. Because when the prince gets taken captive, he won't see Babylon. He'll go there. He'll die there. But he'll never see it. Because he'll have his eyes burned out. And so they were both right. Jeremiah says, you're going to Babylon. Yes, you are. Ezekiel says, you're not going to see it. No, you're not. Because you've got no eyes. He burned your eyes out. So the prophecy, the acting out of it, the hardest part is cover your face. Make it so you can't see. And they represent what Zedekiah did. He ran by night, dug under the wall in the king's garden, ran out to the plain, was captured, and they burned his eyes out. So that's quite a little sermon to preach. The first sermon he preached, a guy died. Next sermon he says, you're going to have your eyes burned out. <laughs> it's a tough time to be a preacher. I'll tell you what, it's a tough time to be a preacher. Now, back to chapter 12 of Ezekiel. There's a, something that God's got to say. And this is pretty thought-provoking for all of us sitting right here. Chapter 12, verse 21. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the proverb that you have in the land of Israel, saying that days are prolonged and every vision faileth? Here's what they say in Jerusalem. Here's what Zedekiah says and all of his family and everybody who's left in Jerusalem. He says, uh, the days are prolonged. Time is going by. 
And we're watching and waiting for all this prophecy to happen, and none of it happened. It all failed. All of prophecy was a failure. None of it came true. None of it came true. That's what they're saying in Jerusalem, all right? None of it came true. Every vision faileth. And so they're mocking the prophets. They're saying, look, these guys are saying all kinds of bad things. And none of it ever comes true. So don't worry about it. None of it ever comes true. Verse 23, tell them therefore thus saith the Lord, I will make this proverb to cease. You're not going to say that anymore. They shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say unto them, the days are at hand and the effect of every vision, for there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged, for in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word and will perform it, thus saith the Lord. And he says, you say it never happens, it's about to happen. You better get ready. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesied of times that are far off. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Here shall none of my words be prolonged any more, but the word which I have spoken shall be done. So they said two things. The first thing they said is that this prophecy stuff never comes true. You guys prophesy and you prophesy again, and we're sick of hearing your prophecies because they never come true. And somebody said, Well, if they do come true, it's for years and years and years in the future. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got nothing to do with us. And it's sort of an attitude that runs through all of human thinking. This prophecy and all this stuff in the Bible, it's... You read the book of Revelation, how's that ever going to come true? That's not going to happen. If it is, it's a long ways off. It's a long ways off. So we don't really have to worry about it. So don't get all excited about these prophecies and all that. It's a long ways off. It's not going to happen. Ask the fellow that dropped dead. Ask him. See, there's the real issue of life. You don't know when or what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. You can be called on today to go over there what you think is years and years off and, and may never happen anyway. No, it could happen today. You could go today. You could die today. You can be called on today to go to the place that you think is years and years and years in the future. And that fellow that dropped dead there thought, eh, I can worship the sun. Because <laughs> this God stuff, God's not doing anything. 
We're running Jerusalem like we always did. We're doing whatever we want and God doesn't do anything. Well, God did do something. He took his life right there, right then. He was then at that point called to stand up and give account. And so you and I got to be careful of the thinking that says, look, that stuff is, well, if it is true at all, comes as true way, way off in the future. We have prophecies like that, and I think you ought to be really aware of those prophecies in the book of Revelations. If you were to turn to chapter 6, you don't have to now because of time's sake, but I'll tell you what's there. Jesus Christ is opening a book that has to reveal the future. And he's the only one that can open it. And when he opens the book, John's watching what happens. And out of the pages of the book comes four horses galloping out of the book. And the first horse is a white horse. And he says there's someone on this white horse who conquers and still is conquering, who begins the conquering and will continue to conquer. And everybody says, well, who's on the white horse? People say, well, Jesus rides a white horse. Yeah, but there's something very important about it. Whenever you see Jesus on a horse, he's got a sword. This white horse guy got a ball. It's not Jesus. Who is it? It's the beginning of evil anti-Christ movement in the history of the world. So the first horse that comes rushing out of the beginning off into the future is the white horse, Antichrist, on a horse, and what's he doing? He's beginning to stir up the feeling of anti-God, anti-Jesus in the world. That's where it starts. We got the movement against God and against Jesus is running through the world. It started way back, and it continues to build and build and build and build against God and against Christ. The next horse out of the book is a red horse. And he says that red horse brings war. So, you think that horse started yet? Well, I think so. In 1918... We started the first world war. And people said, that's going to end all wars. A war to end all wars. 1940, World War II. So the Red Horse began, and wars began throughout the world, and they've been going on ever since. The Red Horse brought war. The third horse is a black horse. The black horse had a scale, the rider had a scale in his hand, and he's measuring food. Because there's a shortage of food, and famine comes across the world. Famine comes across the world. Africa, famine. Asia's famine. America's uniquely insulated now. Uniquely insulated. And so he says of the of the black horse he'll bring famine into the world but the last thing he says and preserve the oil and wine 
anymore. That is, there are some people that will still have oil and still have wine and still have the fine things. But famine will cover a large part of the world. And then the fourth horse comes, and he's a pale horse, and that's death. Death of every kind. Sound familiar? Death, AIDS, death, COVID, death of every kind goes in the world until he says a quarter of the population of the world is taken by death. What's the point of it? He's trying to tell us that these things are coming and there's a gradual growth of it and we begin to trace. Well, there's Antichrist, spirit of Antichrist moving against God. How do we know it's the spirit of Antichrist? Because his spirit is a spirit of lawlessness. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The spirit of lawlessness is marked by the Antichrist. And we look around and we got people who want there to be no more laws, no more police. Uh, do whatever they want to do. Burn everything they want to burn. Doesn't matter who owns it or what. We're going to do whatever we want to do. A spirit of lawlessness. That isn't just their own thoughts coming into their heads. The spirit of Antichrist moving into the world. The prophecies about the future, you can't say... Ah, they're never going to come true. That's the warning in Ezekiel. That's what he said. He said, they say, uh, we got this proverb, and it is uh, that uh, the vision fails. The prophecies fail. They don't fail, God says. You're going to see them come to pass. And then he said, well, it's not for me. It's off in the future sometime. Are you sure? That old Pelaliah there that died, his came that day. Came that day. But we're all in a position where any moment, any time, it could come for us. Any moment, any time. So the warning in Ezekiel is, look, you know, these things are going to come. And if you think that they're not, and you think it's all in the future, you better realize that's not how it's working. That's certainly not what's unfolding right before our eyes. Right before our eyes, we're seeing the spirit of Antichrist, spirit of lawlessness, famine in parts of the world, death coming into the world. Seeing those things happen, and it's a warning. Ezekiel gave warnings, these things are going to happen to you, and they say, ah. We'll never have to go worry about it. It won't even be in our lifetime. A couple months later, they were either dead by the famine, dead by Nebuchadnezzar who killed a third of the people, or carried off captive. One or the other. It happened. Everything happened as they said. So the record of God is that whatever he says comes true. Anything he says comes true. And he's told us a little about our own future. Don't think it's not going to happen. And don't think you won't live to see it. Because we can't guarantee that. You'll be called at any moment at any time. And then, see, because we say, well, what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is about eternity. It's about heaven. It's about the future. Yes, it is. Right? But there's a cutoff. That's when we die. When we die, we're there. 
Just like that. Just like that, we're there. So the warning is here by Ezekiel. This is actually God speaking to Ezekiel. You tell him, if I said it, it's going to happen. Don't think it's not. Because that's what they were thinking. The, the visions are failing. None of this is going to happen. It does happen. And God is going to continue to unfold as he said it would. All right. More next week. Thank you.